Welcome to Strategy Talk, where the editors of Strategy Page discuss current events with a splash of history. I'm Dan Masterson, your host. With us today is military author, game designer, and the editor of Strategy Page, Jim Dunnigan. Also joining us today is columnist, author, and a Strategy Page associate editor, retired Colonel Austin Bay. Welcome, Austin and Jim. I thought it'd be interesting to talk a little bit about uh, human trafficking today. One of the things that uh, I know you talk about all the time, Jim, and probably because you're a Wall Street guy, is follow the money. The human trafficking is bringing in a lot of uh, money to some various uh, evil groups and and like that. Uh, you've mentioned that uh, Al-Qaeda and ISIS have been uh, funding themselves off of human trafficking. You, you just wrote a very interesting piece on Libya and how <clears throat> the Libyans are trying to shut down the smugglers and going into uh, Italy and like that. Tell us a little bit more about this money trail. Yeah, well, but what people forget is that while Libya has been the source of most of the the African and Middle Eastern illegals getting into uh, Europe, mainly through Italy, uh, that did not start happening until after Gaddafi was overthrown. Now, this is this is no virtue of Gaddafi. Gaddafi simply realized that would be letting the smugglers operate would be one more, you know, mark against him, and he couldn't afford any more. Uh, he had basically controlled that <clears throat> because it is, in fact, run by criminal gangs, uh, often gangs, well, almost always gangs, uh, local gangs with connections in Europe. Uh, the uh, intervention of the European Union and various rescue NGOs uh, basically meant that the, uh, as far as I can tell, the uh, the North African gangs could cut out the European mafia. Now they may still have the connection because the uh, basically they would get a finder's fee if the people smuggler when they got to uh, Europe, uh, they would then uh, you know know where to go. Uh, to get further people smuggling services. It's actually a network of people smuggling services that now cover the world. It's a relatively new business uh, on such a large scale we see now. Uh, it didn't really start happening until you had air transport, uh, economical air transport. In other words, uh, 50 years ago. Uh, before that, it was very difficult. You had to get on a ship, and basically it was too easy to be found out, thrown in the brig, you know, and taken back. Um, the people smugglers uh, basically uh, take what the market will bear. That means even people getting up in, from Africa or the Middle East are paying, you know, depending on where they start, uh, you know, several thousand dollars, which is a lot of money. Uh, and a major problem in Afghanistan with the departure of all their, you know, a lot of their skilled people is that people with skills, they'll make money one way or the other. And as soon as they get enough together, several of them will start heading off to the West. Uh, they'll, they'll get through Iran uh, or, you know, they'll basically not go through Iran, but, you know, uh, whichever way they can. Uh, smugglers will uh, usually take you by several hops. And um, sometimes they'll let you do it on credit if they have, uh, if they have you, uh, how should I put it, in the right kind of vice. Uh, the most infamous example of this was the Chinese snakeheads, 
who are still around but not as prominent. At one point, they were in the news because their idea of a profitable run was to buy an old ship for the last phase, usually, uh, you know, uh, from uh, Indonesia or some intermediary stock. Uh, and in some cases, just run it aground in the United States and let the people say, all right, just surrender to the immigration uh, and they'll let you go. Um, that has been a, uh, a major boost for the uh, Latin American people smugglers, um, again, who pay, you know, basically pay how many borders you got to get past. Uh, because uh, until recently, they knew if they could just get you to the border, bingo, you were in, uh, there'd be a little legal bit, and then you'd be let free and you could just disappear. Um, uh, the, the problem with the people smuggling is that it generally doesn't get noticed, which the people smugglers prefer. They like to do their business in the shadows. Uh, the snakeheads got noticed, A, because they dropped entire boatloads of people off on, the, on American shores. I mean, that gets noticed. Um, but they also got noticed because, uh, B, they were, a lot of the young women they were bringing in uh, didn't realize or didn't hope they could beat it, uh, so to speak, uh, were turned into prostitutes um, because you had to pay back the debt which we're talking ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars um, And if you didn't pay back the debt, these guys were usually connected with an international triad in many cases, the you know, classic uh, Chinese mafia. Uh, they would literally you know, threaten to kill your kinfolk back in, um, uh, in China. Uh, North Korea uses the same technique now, <clears throat> which is why so many uh, people who get out of North Korea and into South Korea uh, plead to be, you know, not identified in any way. Uh, that's why one of the latest uh, North Korean hacking scandals involved getting the names and phone numbers of people who had made it to North Korea. So somebody from the, the North Korean secret police uh, could personally call them up and say, hey, look, if you don't do such and such spy for us to come back uh, or, or send or get more money, uh, your mom's going to lose an arm or going to go to the prison camp, which usually isn't survivable depending on how old you are. Um, and this has been a, 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 a great problem for South Korea because the vast majority of those, those people getting into South Korea do not want to go back, do not want their, their family or, or uh, anybody they know back in the old country uh, harmed. Uh, but, you know, that's how the game is played and it's still being played big time, including, for example, a lot of the uh, I think as the government is trying to point out, but nobody in the mass media is listening. This is still going on with the, the all the people coming in now, especially the kids. Uh, they don't come in free, at least not on the Mexican side or the southern side. Uh, they have a debt attached to them and somebody eventually has to pay one way or another. Well, uh, one of the things that uh, we have followed for uh, now almost 20 years on strategy page, but if you look back on uh, several things uh, Jim wrote in the 80s and 90s and, and uh, a couple of the uh, chapters in the uh, Quick and Dirty Guide to War series, you'll see that crime ties in very closely with uh, terrorist operations, and uh, also works tightly with uh, dictatorial regimes. Dictators uh, use uh, have used criminal uh, syndicates 
for uh, forever. Uh, kings have as well. And yes, it's true that democracies uh, make deals uh, with uh, the mafia, uh, particularly uh, the intelligence agencies. But the, the difference, Dan, is to take North Korea as an example. There was a term that uh, I believe a, a couple of analysts who wrote a uh, for the uh, U.S. Army War College, wrote one of their pamphlets back in the eh, maybe 12, 15 years ago at the Strategic Studies Institute. They coined a term called criminal sovereignty and applied it directly to North Korea because North Korea has an, uh, an intelligence bureau, an office that really is a coordinator for international organized criminal operations, some of them directly carried out by North Korean operatives, whether they're intelligence agents or not, they're <laughs> criminal, uh, criminal operatives, some of them coordinated by North Korean diplomats and intelligence agents with uh, local or regional uh, criminal syndicates. And, and one of the uh, operations that was fairly well known is the North Korean uh, trafficking, and this is going on in the 1990s, uh, heroin uh, in, uh, in, in Asia, uh, Southeast Asia, East Asia, and Indian Ocean area. They were providing the North Korean regime was not only uh, providing uh, capital in some cases, um, money to move it, and then of course they make uh, ten, a hundred times what they invested in it when they move it. Um, providing logistical assistance, there was a story that I never saw confirmed, but uh, I do know North Korea had a couple of ships like this because one of them finally got uh, uh, boarded, uh, essentially a, a long distance uh, trawler. That's really a spy ship, but they were using this boat to uh, haul drugs. Uh, by the way, one of these uh, uh, ships like this uh, got stopped, too, off of Iran bringing uh, North Korean weapons about a decade ago, and then it got, it got sent back. They have uh, extra fuel bunkers so that they've, they've got uh, longer range. But uh, one of them was making stops around the Indian Ocean and then would come on back, sail through the Straits of Malacca, come on back to North Korea. Uh, why was North Korea doing this? Well, Dan, it was all about money. The money going through this criminal system. Um, but the high life for the uh, core of the, the Kim regime. Uh, it, went, it went for uh, expensive uh, luxuries. As a matter of fact, uh, some of the operation dealt to in acquiring luxury items that uh, and uh, smuggling them uh, back uh, into uh, Pyongyang. Uh, criminal operation, uh, because they've got a failed system. Uh, they're not economically productive, so they're going to go and, and, and do it with crime. There's lots of evidence that the Khomeiniist regime, by that I mean the Ayatollah dictatorship that the Ayatollah role of Khomeini really founded in 1979 when he overthrew the, the Shah, uh, started doing uh, the same thing 
Not that the Shah didn't have contacts with uh, criminal organizations. He did. His Savak intelligence agency did. They operate in the Middle East. But nevertheless, it became a money-making venture for the, uh, for the Iranian uh, uh, dictatorship. Uh, it certainly grew during the Iran-Iraq uh, war when, uh, after Saddam invaded uh, uh, Iran, and now it's become part of the r- regime's uh, economic, uh, economic policy. Uh, I read an article a couple of years ago. Again, it was some of it was speculative, but you heard what Jim just uh, said about the human human trafficking is uh, that they were engaged in that as well, uh, in, involved with uh, moving migrants, even from sub-Saharan Africa, because they were using their contacts in some of the uh, Lebanese Shia communities uh, in, uh, that are scattered, uh, scattered around Africa. They do that for other purposes as well. But the human trafficking component to make money criminal smuggling of, you know, uh, hum, uh, of human beings uh, was, was uh, part of the regime's business business model. Um, we've got two or three articles that uh, I've, I've got two or three columns uh, uh, over the last decade that addresses uh, all of those, including one on criminal sovereignty that ran in, I think, November of, of 20, uh, 2017, provides even more details on it. I, I want to add one other uh, comment, too, about, uh, about crime and human smuggling. There's a column I wrote in 2001 that is, and, and I'll tell you why I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning this. Jim says, well, it's accelerated now that you can move of people uh, more rapidly and uh, you've got air connections and the like. But this column uh, was about a real old-time slaving operation in West Africa. Uh, this, uh, the evidence on this was solid. Uh, a couple of, uh, uh, of major uh, investigative news organizations in the U.S., uh, they were still doing that down in 2000, 2001, but uh, had, had followed, followed up on these rumors. And, and basically this old-timey uh, tramp steamer was picking up young West Africans who had been kidnapped by criminal gangs and then moving them up the coast to cities where they were sold to work. Uh, some of them were even brought brought up to uh, 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 as far far north uh, uh, as Morocco. Now it got intercepted, and and it became something of a of a cause celeb very uh, very briefly. But there it was, and it was uh, this wasn't a bunch of British and Spanish and and Portuguese slave traders. They were West African, uh, West African gangs. Uh, essentially, I mean, it, the the model would be something right out of the history of the transatlantic slave trade. Uh, young men, mostly, but young girls as well, kidnapped from uh, interior tribes, tri- tribal or villages, but they're tribes that live on the interior and brought out and then hauled up the coast and literally sold. So that type 
of slaving hasn't totally disappeared. Matter of fact, about four years ago, I read a, a article that uh, mentioned someone else had been caught uh, trying uh, to do that in in West Africa. Uh, is that criminal? Of course it is. It's supposed to be illegal, but it goes on. And there, it was not something connected to uh, an, uh, an authoritarian regime or, or a, di- a dictatorship wasn't necessarily connected to uh, a huge international drug trafficking ring. It was just, as uh, Jim has said, of, of some of these uh, instances that, that we, we talk about, it was kind of carrying on a local tradition, as, as bitter as that sounds. Jim, <clears throat> what is the particular issues with what's going on with Libya and uh, Italy uh, they why is Italy the point that they want to drop all of these people off at well Italy is the closest to the Libyan coast uh, that's one reason why Libya used to be an Italian colony I mean it's literally you know geography is everything uh, the other thing was until a new government got elected in Italy recently the Italians refused to basically uh, back away from the EU. You know, if they hit ground, you got to you know, process them, and et cetera, et cetera. Because a lot of these people were going through, all the, almost all these people <coughs> were going through Italy and causing a crime wave and additional expense for local communities. Uh, <coughs> you got the same problem in Germany, where the, uh, the current government is faced with collapse. Because Bavaria, <laughs> which is where, which is, again, geography, which is the easiest place where people come up uh, from the, the Balkans or Italy, uh, is basically fed up, you know, with being the, uh, the doormat, so to speak, uh, for all the illegals. And then, of course, you have the, the crime problem and the terrorism, which uh, the Europeans basically go out of their way to deny even exists. Uh, although it does very much so. In fact, it's it's outrageous in Germany. Uh, they do occasionally publish statistics, but not on the front page. Uh, but they have an enormous problem with, you know, assaults on, well, especially on women, uh, murders. Um, and, of course, the, the uh, German intelligence has known since the 80s that a large percentage of their Muslim uh, migrants, including many of the third, third, you know, second or third generation Turks, um, uh, basically uh, are, are tolerant, uh, favorably disposed towards Islamic terrorism because they believe, again, a small percentage, but enough. I mean, if you take, you know, a, a few percent of, uh, you know, a million, you know, uh, you know uh, uh, it must Muslim nationals, uh, uh, you know, uh, residents in your country, uh, that's a lot of people to keep an eye on. Uh, and that's what England has been, you know, banging its head against the wall because they often admit after there is a, a, an incident of Islamic terrorism on their, you know, territory that yes, he was a known terrorist. You know, they, 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 the media likes to talk about known wolves and unknown wolves. Well, the fact of the matter is, most of the people who commit these crimes are known to be radicalized, are known to be predisposed, but. They can't afford to put, you know, a tail on them, you know, 24-7, and all they got to do is boom, go, and boom, you got it. We got it right here in New York several times. Um, the uh, uh, the problem is not so much, you know, Islam. It's the it's money, 
this is a problem which is now being covered more in Saudi Arabia because Saudi Arabia is the major source not only of the funding for this radical form of Islam, but also for the recruits. Uh, the majority, or almost the majority, of ISIL uh, recruits came from Saudi Arabia. Why is that? Because they basically turned the educational system over to the Islamic conservatives in the 1970s, faced with basically another you know, religious uprising, which they've had before. The, the uh, Saud family, Abdul Aziz Saud, basically got control of Saudi Arabia by making a deal with the devil, as we would put it, uh, with the, the, the basically the, the current uh, for a group of the Ukwan, basically uh, uh, a, a militant, uh, radical Islamic group. And he had to kill them all. You know, he said, hey, guys, cool it. Because basically they were they were uh, raiding into non-Saudi territory, mainly British and French territory. And the British and French back in those days to take that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, so he basically, you know, killed as many as he could find and told the others, you know, keep your heads down. Um, and they did, but they never forgot. And, and, it's, and it's not just what uh, Abdul Aziz did. It's what, you know, occurs in Islam. If you look at the history of Islam, and we put it aside again and again, uh, for about a thousand years, they've had a problem with uh holier than now, or more Islamic than now Muslims, basically uh, stonewalling, stopping any progress at all. Now, normal, uh, again, the experts on, in, the, in the West say, well, this is political, you know, but what they, they, again, they overlook is Islam literally means submission. It's a form of government that, that purposely combines <coughs> civil and religious together and it's right there in the scripture, along with a lot of the nasty stuff. Um, and uh, you can always find radicals. And, and you know, most Muslims agree we'd like to get rid of this, but there's no mechanism. You know, granted, the Protestants, uh, a lot of other religions don't have a, a supreme authority. But if enough of the supreme authorities get together, they can suppress it. Uh, the fact, the problem is. In the, in the Muslim countries, you, you do not have that. Uh, and so you have these up, uprisings every generation or so. And it's more frequent now because there's more money. It's easier to organize uh, and it's easier to finance. Um, and it's not going to end until Islam basically goes through a, a reformation, which the Saudis have been trying to their credit <laughs> to arrange uh, since the 1980s. They don't get much publicity because they don't have much success. But they have been trying because to them, it's a very real, very personal, it's a family threat. Um, and uh, uh, they're running out of ideas. I mean, the new crown prince, the 30-something, you know, uh, uh, next in line for the throne, uh, he's getting pretty radical, so to speak, in his own way. But he acknowledges that this is our problem. This is why we can't have good things. <laughs> uh, it, like... Uh, you know, uh, uh, why there are so few books published in Arabic, because it's considered, you know, uh, haram, un unclean, uh, and you're going to get your, your book publisher uh, burned down or, or your publishers killed. Uh, and in fact, the, the Islamic world didn't even get movable type for a long time, because when it first showed up, it was from the Christians, it was haram, it was un unclean, unholy, un-Islamic, we don't touch it. Guess where that ends up? Well, you see it.
Now, Austin, the semi, the semi-inner side, the it's all semi, but the the just extremely dark side of human trafficking is the uh, sex uh, slave trade. Yep. Uh, some of that coming up. Oh, oh, look, some of this is, as you you said, what degrees uh, of ugly, uh, uh, cruel, brutal, <laughs> dark, you know. They're all pretty damn dark. But uh, All right, go ahead. You want to ask me about sex trafficking? Yeah, the Islam is participating in this. this not Islam, not as a group, but the Islamic terrorists have been participating in this. That's, but we've, that's the allegation, and there's a, a evidence. You're talking, yeah, you're, you, you're not talking about whole societies, but you're talking about these terrorist groups that are totally... Some of them just totally in bed with their local criminal organizations because they uh, that, that's how they move their supplies. In some cases, they serve as intelligence assets. I'm talking about the criminals for the terrorist gangs and, uh, on it. Yes, uh, they're not the only uh, only ones. There's uh, again, these are not new allegations, and the Iranian uh, government really bristles when. Uh, this uh, charge is, is brought up, but uh, some evidence that some evidence is <laughs> pretty dark, uh, very dark, of uh, Iranian uh, operatives who have engaged in mostly moving women out of either uh, Africa or parts of Central Asia and uh, essentially selling them as uh, as prostitutes, and they're moved on to uh, to, to Europe. In some cases, uh, uh, Southeast uh, Southeast Asia. During the 1990s, late 1990s, there was a lot of focus, of course, on the uh, various uh, Yugoslav wars of uh, devolution um, and Kosovo war, and that brought uh, a lot of attention, media attention, to these Balkan smuggling gangs, Albanian, some Serb, uh, Serbo-Croat, Greek, Bulgarian. They're not a new phenomenon. Uh, they were, <laughs> they played a huge role in the uh, some some of the uh, gangs did in the uh, 1912 1913 uh, Balkan Balkan wars. Uh, they were part part and parcel of the uh, special operations that uh, the Balkan League undertook. And don't think the Turks, who were being attacked in the first Balkan War, didn't have connections to these smuggling gangs uh, themselves. They did. What did they smuggle in the 19th century? Guess what, Dan? Mostly women, uh, serving, selling women into Central and Western Europe as uh, as prostitutes. They also moved other uh, other things as well: gold, uh, precious, you know, uh, 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 luxury items, uh, and the like. But they transitioned into uh, in, in, in the 20th century into uh, drug gangs. Uh, not that they weren't always somewhat selling uh, hashish and, and opium. I, I don't know why I put it that way, but that's what they they were because uh, from uh, various places in the in Central Asia and the, and the Middle East. Uh, plenty of hashish and opium users in in London in the 19th century. 
and uh, Paris's as well. Marseille, I mean, you could go find some of this cropping up in French and, and British novels. But uh, they moved into the, the narcotics trafficking uh, that uh, we we are now familiar with. That transition after World War, after World War One, and certainly uh, after World War Two, moving drugs, but they're also moving people. And to get back to the point I was saying about the attention brought on those gangs in the late uh, late 90s, a lot of it was moving young Russian women or women from the former Soviet socialist republics to the West because they had no prospects and they thought they were going to go get rich being waitresses or even some of them were aware that they were going to be prostitutes. Some of them thought they were going to find husbands because there was a quote-unquote find-a-husband business, uh, initially by mail, but then by the end of the 90s, start of the first decade of the 21st century, by email. And the uh, uh, criminal syndicates were, uh, were involved in this. Now, children, I'm not an expert on it, but I've read it, too. And it's it seems to there's evidence that this the, that they're selling kids uh, pedophilia uh, in uh, in East Asia and Europe gangs in South America are doing the same thing uh, in in the Western Hemisphere not just bringing them to the United States and Canada but uh, uh, but uh, but elsewhere uh, I've seen nothing that ties it to the primary my when I when I follow some of this, uh, Dan, because uh, of the the tie-in with with crime uh, and and terror and also insur- insurgencies, but so if we move into the the, the child uh, element, I I can't say that I've seen that directly tied. Maybe maybe Jim knows something on it, but does it occur? Yes, it does, and it's uh, a. It's apparently it's it's hard for uh, police forces, even when they share information on it, to completely uh, completely uh, shut it down. Though I read uh, again about two years ago an article uh, by um, I believe the fellow was uh, associated with Interpol may have been one of the directors, and they said that that was one of their top priorities, was uh, uh, smuggling human trafficking, uh, women and children. Uh, they're aware of it, and uh, there's, uh, how, how do I put this, Jim, international transcultural disgust at it. Uh, you can get, everybody will, at least the nations superficially sign on that they want to stop it. But it's still uh, tough to stop, and why is it? Because there's uh, money in it as well as evil, I suppose. Right. Now, <clears throat> here in the United States, it's coming up through the southern border, mainly Not Surely, wait a minute. Jim, Jim told you about what the the, the Chinese human trafficking right. uh, operations, and there's some. It's it's died down a little bit, but if you if you include the Caribbean as a southern border, and it right. is, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. I just make that point. That's not right. all coming from the south. Right. But you're uh, you follow Mexico quite heavily and uh, the cartel activity in yep. this area. And, the, and look. 
cartels are big to time into human trafficking. They were smuggling people before they were smuggling drugs in mass. As as my view on that. I didn't mean to interrupt your question. But. Well, that that is my question. Is is what is their involvement? Uh, how long have they been involved? What type? I mean, again, we've got these degrees of human smuggling. What are the cartels involved with on uh, from Mexico Look, and uh, other gangs in Central and South America? Uh, MS-13. There's uh, and I'm blanking out on the other uh, Central American uh, organization. They they sure they're in, they're engaged. engaged in that. There's uh, human trafficking. Smuggling people, bringing in the illegal—I can call them migrants—just illegally entering in the United States is really an easy thing to do if you're coming from Mexico into Texas, uh, New Mexico, Arizona, California. It gets a little tight as you get towards uh, San Diego. It's because it's, it's just huge and it's wild, and there's a lot of empty space. And I'm going to tell a little personal anecdote here. Good friend of mine, half of his family, uh, came into the United States from Mexico uh, about 19, between 1908 and 1910 because of turmoil in Mexico. On that side of the family, they happened to be farmers and uh, relatives a small businessman. And they just left because they were threatened by all the you know, chaos of the Mexican revolutions. Matter of fact, he told a story that uh, he'd, he'd heard that, you know, uh, Pancho Villa was shooting up the, uh, the entire, entire valley. And they moved lock, stock, and barrel right across across the river in, in, into Texas. They actually had some relatives over here that had been here for, you know, dec- uh, decades. Nobody said anything to them. Is that illegal trafficking or are they refugees? Next thing, they're all in, in, in college and, and example, example of him. But it's easy. My point here is it's easy to do. And in our contemporary lingo, these people would have been refugees, no doubt about it, because they were... You know, Middle-class farmers and businessmen and women, and I just—and how many? He 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 estimated there were about sixty people, extended family. Bang, move across, and uh, now they're set up and they're uh, they're in Texas. That is not what evolves after World War II. You start getting real economic migrants. There are always some activity going on along the border, South, South Texas, flow of workers uh, on the uh, uh, farms in, in, uh, in the Rio Grande Valley, uh, proximity of uh, uh, Mexican towns and, and, and uh, cities to uh, uh, South Texas. Um, Matamoros and Brownsville being an example of that, even though Brownsville's not right on top of uh, an agricultural area. But here were the jobs. And we had some programs. I I always mispronounce it, but it was essentially a a guest worker program where people were documented. After that ended, you had this, well, the illegal illegal, uh, 
migrant phenomenon. While these people seeking jobs who could do the work, uh, now they have no documentation. Yeah, now, now what I'm, the story I'm I'm telling now I have gotten from now retired uh, Texas police officers who worked worked the border. That's when the criminal organizations start really organizing. Uh, it's small at first, making deals, and this is I'm I'm you know paraphrasing what the police officers said. In some cases, making deals with. Uh, American businesses to find, and they're almost like illegal recruiters. You find guys who can do this, and they, and they would bring them in. And it certainly became more than that, uh, and it has uh, to the situation that that we face now. Now you've got organizations, as as Jim described the the, the Chinese situation. It's it's not very different. In fact, it's it's the same business model. People living in, and, and, and Dan, you know how tough some of these, um, you know, you're not supposed to uh, uh, say it, but I've spent a lot of time in Central America, and I've seen the poverty firsthand. I've been there and, and, and done that. You, you have to respect somebody who says, I've had enough of this. And, of course, they have these authoritarian, uh, whether they're left, right, or, or whatever, um, Governments, crooked and crooked cops. So, they want to go to the land of magic, just like those poor Russian girls after the Soviet Union fall think they're going to get rich in Paris or whatever. The land of magic here's being the United States, and then uh, the gangs come in. And <laughs> Jim may have a bit more recent figure than I. I remember. Uh, reading about 15 years ago, it was two thousand dollars. I'm sure it's more now. Yeah, I'm sure. You know, you know, it's more now. But it was two grand. It's probably five, six grand now, depending. And they'll take you, move you from Honduras or Guatemala through Mexico and take you in. Uh, or uh, some of the and how do they do it? Crooked cops all the way to the border. And dare I say it, crooked cops beyond the border, on our side of the uh, border as well. It's not just crooked uh, crooked cops. But it's organized now and systematized. I've given you a, you know, I, admittedly passing on the, the, the story of the first decade of the, of the 20th century. But Mexico had a huge revo- revolution. And there, was, there were problems, violence. Real shoot 'em up violence, even before the uh, 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 the revolution uh, exploded. And porous border, nobody out there. Very few, very few people out there. A couple of uh, you know cavalry troops, guys still on uh, on horses, fast uh, and open. You didn't have a, a systematized organization for doing it. And then I went ahead and did. I described. You, I described how the business model evolved. There was always somebody who could make a connection for you. And then it became, you know, the, uh, the, the phenomenon. There would be a coyote who could help you go north. Uh, that's, that's not new. Uh, but the systemization because of the jobs and connections and then 
getting the uh, uh, migrants to pay. And then the, the other thing is, is they're not all coming up here for jobs. We're getting back into some of the other you know, the human trafficking elements, uh, uh, prostitution, criminality, uh, uh, that element as well. So is it tied to um, a guerrilla operation? No, but it's tied to whatever you want to call it's going on in, uh, uh, in Mexico, the criminal insurgency, which is a term we use on strategy page. That doesn't quite get it, but it gets enough of it. It's certainly part of the cartel war. But the, the real genesis of the cartel war is Mexico's uh, lack of strong judicial and police uh, uh, systems. Clean the, the internal corruption is what the, what uh, feeds the war, and also depre- overwhelmingly uh, uh, depresses uh, the the. Um, Majority of the, uh, of the Mexican people, you Mexico has plenty of good polling services, and you'll see these 75, 80 percent of the country saying we're sick and tired of this, and we're sick and tired of our own politicians and police robbing us. They're not they're anything but stupid. <laughs> no, they know what's going on, and uh, they're desperately cynical about it. See, that's that's part of some of these these. The situation in Mexico—it's—it's—it's it's, it's understood here in the, in the United States. Unfortunately, our own politics and certain you know, political interests in the United States have to turn this into. Uh, I, I, I try to turn it into a, 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 a racial, ethnic uh, uh, collision. Or and it, it, if you you see really what's going on in Mexico, it's it, it's. You're dealing with a huge, powerful, and wealthy place on the planet, which is what Mexico is comparatively, that has a very crooked uh, judicial system. And uh, that is because of the of the way the political uh, – uh, that's because of the political system. And that allows – large criminal organizations to uh, gives them a, a great deal of space to operate right and they, they take advantage of wherever they can that's it and here you you asked me about the human trafficking and the and the, the women and, and children on it that's a minor part of their business model it's just one that's particularly ugly Right. I think I use the word evil. It is evil. Uh, evil. But then some of the other other things I engage in uh, are uh, uh, as well. And then right. I, I don't want to presuppose what Jim's going to say, but I've heard him say this. Austin, these they've been some of these gangsters in police uniforms and the like. They've been doing that for three centuries. Yeah, he, he's right. But. So you want to bring us to a conclusion, Jim, on the human trafficking problem around the world? Uh, yes, I think the the uh, the how should I put it the pot of gold countries the West in effect have to basically face up to the fact that what is going on uh, a lot of the laws that allow people to easily you know uh, put down roots as it were once they get into the country illegally are based upon offering asylum to oppressed people now. Technically, anybody coming in from these countries is doing it because they're oppressed. But most of them are doing it because they're economically 
and uh, you know, not personally, politically oppressed. In other words, they don't like the system. The problem is they're bringing the system with them. And this is nothing new. In the 19th century, the poorest Italian migrants could only afford a ticket to North America. The wealthy ones went to Argentina. Well, that's another story, but Argentina was very promised, uh, you know, prosperous for a long time. And so it wasn't. But in, in, in North America, I've had God knows how many, you know, uh, I grew up in a, you know, Irish Italian, you know, neighborhood. And the old timers would say, you know, the biggest problem with getting into the United States was not getting past Ellis Island. It was a lot of the gangsters, the people they were trying to get away from, came also. And so you had the mafia. And of course, the majority of Italians hated the black hand, you know, whatever you want to call the gangsters, because that was what they were getting away from in Italy. Now, eventually it took a couple of generations, but they did. Uh, but same with the Ita- with the Irish. Uh, they were ferociously, you know, anti-British, uh, you know, it, Ireland had been occupied for centuries and what have you. And that was a big problem with uh, law enforcement. Uh, Irish immigrants were getting it legally. They had to go through, you know, uh, a lot more than they people, immigrants have to go through now. But uh, they could be bullied into joining these Fenian organizations. And at one point, they tried to invade Canada. But there was a lot. These were gangsters. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Um, and so this is an old, a problem as old as, you know, migration in general, but especially in the United States. But now it's basically a lot easier. You can do it on a massive scale. And the biggest problem with it is the corruption in the United States. In 1986, there was a solution to all this with, you know, making it illegal to hire, you know, people who did not couldn't document their, their, their migration status, their citizenship status and what have you. And that was not only ignored by most businesses, they did that because after the, the law was enacted, Congress wouldn't, you know, uh, basically enforce it. The government wouldn't enforce it. So whose fault is it here? Uh, it's basically, you know, a collective uh, outlaw response uh, to a problem that really needs addressing. It can be addressed, but, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of people in the West, in the United States, who are fine with illegal, you know, migration and all the crime and uh, and pain it uh, it entails because whatever who knows I'm not going to get into that right all right well we'll wrap it up there Dan Dan one, let me make one one comment on that all okay right? it, it, that that story I told about my uh, friends uh, really grandparents great uh, great grandparents they're refugees revolutionary gangs are burning down all the farms. And they were educated. They had already had family in Texas. Fifty, sixty of them move in mass. That's a refugee situation, which is what Jim is, is pointing out that the laws here in the magic land, land of gold, are, 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 were formulated. That's how, that, that's how they were framed. But that's that's not the same situation uh, we face right now. You have organized gangs moving people and uh, that one those were people fleeing so that they did they didn't get burned as well see so right all right okay there is a difference bye we'll, guys we'll talk to you next time bye bye, bye.